Ever since that Christmas day in 1929, when Charlie Lawson killed seven members of his family and then himself, people have been drawn to the story. I'm Chad Tucker. This is Deadly Secrets, The Lawson Family Murder. Coming up in Episode 3, The Hauntings. We've been asked before if there's any, anything that's really happened that's kind of suspicious. And this room, it was really kind of creepy, to tell you the truth. We'll take you to a place that played an important part in the Lawson family story. Just a lot of strange things that go on in this building. The funeral home where the bodies were prepared is now a museum. And we have some people that won't even come down in the hallway. They, they get chills on their arms and they, they, don't, and they just don't go any farther. But before we go there, we'll introduce you to someone who has a family connection with the Lawsons. I've had family around this story as long as I can remember. That man's online group has taken the story of the tragedy into the internet era. I think people want to keep it alive. I know a lot of people say, let it die, let it rest. But as humans, we have a natural inclination to be interested in a murder or a mystery. For some, though, it's not the murder or mystery. It's the history. And this is where we'll begin. My name is Aaron Green, and uh, I collect local history and Lawson family memorabilia. Aaron Green stumbled across the Lawson family murder story because of his interest in local history. I saw it, and I thought, well, you know, that was tragic, but it was really interesting, you know, the, the, the tourist attraction it became. And uh, over here I have the original Danbury Reporter from 1930. After Charlie murdered his family, interest in the story started drawing the curious to the farm and crime scene. So Charlie's brother started charging admission to help the surviving son, Arthur. Oh, two of these were souvenir pieces that were sold at the house, and they were sold for 25 cents. He's describing the weathered pamphlets sold to tourists, some small, some larger. They're all yellowed and faded with worn edges. And these are the kind of things collectors like Aaron are looking for. Well, I just, you know, searched for items and stuff just out of curiosity to see if any of it was even out there. At first, I just wanted to see if anybody had this stuff because, you know, it was out there. It's, you know, the majority of it's paper. You know, paper doesn't last very long. Yeah. And then, you know, families hang on to it. You know, they pass it down and it gets out. Was it pricey? Uh, some of it, yes. <laughs> yes. Now, what have you seen the most of an item go for? Um, I saw a copy of the, I think it was the Danbury Reporter, and uh, one of the records was sold together. I think it was like $200 that they had sold for together. But I haven't paid any, you know, nearly that for my stuff. One of the souvenir pamphlets sold by the family includes a poem about the tragedy. On a hill beside a roadway stands a lonely cottage home where there once had lived some people and they called it all their own. Looking outward from this doorway on the brook that runs below, you can hear the trees murmuring as they're bending to and fro. But this house is now deserted and the people are away for tis here occurred a murder on a snowy Christmas day. There the father, Charles D. Lawson, with his mind almost undone, took the lives of all his people, save that of his oldest son. There his wife was lying prostrate and her blood upon the floor and her baby in the cradle, whom she fondled with no more. And Marie was also lying close beside her mother's head. So were James and Raymond victims, for they were there lying dead. And Carrie and little Maybell, who were running up the road, fell the victims of this madman as his gun let out its load. Yet he surely must have loved them as he gently laid each head there upon a little pillow for the sleeping of the dead. How he did this awful murder, tried to tell, there's no one can, for his actions were too mystic for the mind of any man. Yet we must concede him crazy when he did this awful crime, for no man that's normal-minded would have dared to kill his kind. 
When he saw this awful murder that he knew that he had done, how could he have had the courage there to face his only son? So he started out there running to some woods not far away, and he ended his own life there on this snowy Christmas day. So now, friends, while you are passing by this little house upon the hill, do not say that he just did it of his own accord and will. But be sure in your decisions have a kind, forgiving mind. God alone can judge the actions of a madman of this kind. He also has other hard-to-find items. This one here, I don't know too many of these that even exist. I've never seen that before. Oh. And it, I, I think it's the one of the Puckett books. It's called The Story Song and Pictures of the Lawson Family Murder and Suicide near Germanton, North Carolina. Yeah, it had a long title. The book includes pictures and even the lyrics to another song that tells of the tragedy. It was written by Albert G. Puckett of Rural Hall, North Carolina. Like I said, there's not that much stuff out there, and to have it, you know, to be able to hold it and say, you know, I'm preserving this, it's, it's a big deal for me. Aaron admits collecting things associated with such a tragedy draws some questions from his friends. <laughs> Most of them ask, what is wrong with you? <laughs> they, they think it's weird. Um, my wife thinks it's very strange, but, you know, I try to people, I'm not really, I don't really connect with the murders. I, it's more so how the, you know, it became a local lore. It's, you know, it's, a yeah. big thing, like you said, 90 years later, they're still talking about it. And thanks to the internet, the number of people talking about it continues to grow. I'm Kyle Barrier. Uh, I'm a Stokes County native. My family's been in Stokes County for several generations, uh, 250, 275 years. Kyle is a local historian who started a Facebook group about the Lawson family. Now, I apologize for the audio quality. Kyle joined us via FaceTime. So I started gathering information and I guess it progressed into the modern age. How can we connect as many people together? So a Facebook group got started. Um, I started posting, a few members would roll in, uh, met some really interested and uh, in-depth researchers through that. I'm, I'm very surprised. I thought it would just be like the few people from Stokes County that might be interested in some history. And it, it brings people that have never heard of the topic they may be a Lawson from another part of the country. Um, I think at one time, one of Arthur's descendants was actually a member. I'm not sure if she still is or not. I would have to go back and check. But they all had moved to California. So I hope that the Facebook group brings the information together uh, in one place. He has a close connection to the story. His great-great-great-grandfather was front and center during the Lawson's graveside service. He can be seen in one of the famous photographs from the funeral. I've had family around this story as long as I can remember. Um, I had two great-grandmothers, one that was in the same class with Marie, one of the daughters, and another great-grandmother that, that lived within walking distance of the Lawson Farm at the time. My great-grandmother that was in the same class as Marie, she never talked about it as much. But my other great-grandmother, she was on my mother's side that lived within walking distance, she remembered the children. Uh, she actually gave me a quilt that has two squares, one by Carrie and one by Maybell. And her great-grandfather and her great-grandfather both attended the funeral. He's actually in that photo of, of the caskets kind of off to the right center. He's got a little lapel on. He was a member of the Junior Order. The Junior Order was a fraternal organization that helped lay the Lawson family to rest. From the way I understand it, they kind of orchestrated the funeral, the family didn't have much say, but she, she would talk about how he was more involved than I think the family at that point. 
And I guess, like I said, I just wanted all these oral histories from different families outside of my family or the few stories in the families I know to come together and more people to join and tell what they know. But even without a family connection, the mystery and questions surrounding the story has kept it from dying all these years. I think people want to keep it alive. I know a lot of people say, let it die, let it rest. But as humans, we have a natural inclination to be interested in a murder or a mystery. And like you have all these mystery TV shows or mystery movies. This isn't a movie. This, this is real life. And I think that brings people interested. And the question of why he did it, we don't have a solid answer so people are always going to want to solve that mystery. Do you, do you think this is one of the stories that will ever die, or is the mystery going to always keep it out there? I kind of wonder that myself as as the older generation is, is dying off. My great-grandmother, she lived until she was 99 and a half. She was alive during the time and died last year. So as that older generation who was directly affected dies off, I wonder if the interest will kind of wean but I think there will always be some sort of interest, especially if, if folks keep it alive. While there are still discussions and even artifacts remaining from the Lawson family murders, not much else is left. The cabin was torn down, and now the only place most people associate with the tragedy is the cemetery where the family is buried. But there is another place that played an important role in the story, 16 miles away in another county in the town of Madison. Well, the building itself was built in 1908. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello there. Yeah, how you doing, buddy? How are you, Richard? Fine. Good, good to see you. Good Chad Tucker. Yeah. These days, the building is occupied by Madison Dry Goods. Half of the store is retail apparel, and the other is a representation of an old country store. We were very fortunate that the upstairs is all intact. And that's where you'll find the building's connection to the Lawson family murder. I'm gonna walk right down here, Chad, through the door into the museum. And I like the squeaky sounds of it, it's authentic. In what were once hotel rooms, owner Richard Miller has set up displays of local history. This is pretty typical of what you would see for a, for a hotel room. And this would be typical, kind of a bed at that time. At one time, hotel rooms were in high demand in Madison. Mr. T.B. Knight operated a store downstairs and a hotel upstairs. Uh, Madison had 41 tobacco plug warehouses, the most in the whole world at one time. So businessmen flocked here for miles around. But when that kind of changed, uh, then the hotel wasn't as important. So they closed the hotel. And that's when uh, Mr. Knight decided to put a funeral home on the second floor. And that's where the connection to the Lawson family murder comes in. So this room here, Chad, it represents uh, the funeral home that was here, Mr. Knight. You can see right here it says T.B. Knight and Penn Hardware Company. The funeral home had the gruesome task of preparing the Lawson family. So why did they bring their, the family here to prepare them all the way from Germany? Because that's a pretty good haul back in 1929. Right, well, they didn't have a full service funeral home, but this was a full service funeral home, a Yelton, Y-E-L-T-O-N. They transported bodies and buried them. One was in Walnut Cove and one was here. So they brought the bodies over here and they prepared them here and then took them down the street for a viewing. 
and then they took him back over to the cemetery. And so, that, so the viewing was here in Madison. Right. Now, why would they do that all the way out here, though, when that happened down in German or in Monaco area? I think I, I'm not. I, I can't answer that question for. You. I think because no. of the it was just close to Rockham County, and this was a full service funeral home. So I just they didn't have the services. They there didn't have the services there. Wow. And maybe it was just as close to come here as it was in Winston Salem at that time. I don't know. A photo hanging on the wall captures the large crowd outside on the street with a parade of hearses containing the caskets of eight family members. This was after they prepared the bodies and they, and they took them in this building and they laid them out there to, for the viewing. The room is full of funeral home artifacts from the time period. This is a portable embalming table and when you fold it up it looks like a suitcase. And you'll also find lost in memorabilia throughout the museum. One thing Richard Miller is most proud of is a framed 1929 Winston-Salem Journal. So this is two days later, it's when it got to the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I think that's pretty interesting. I also, besides having that, I like to see the other stories on there. Oh yeah, things that things that were going things that were going on, on in that the, in that era. So you know about, about the the pastor and the romance. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's been going on for years. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. So two days later, it made the front page of the journal. Mm -hmm. Tell me again the history behind you finding that. There was a Mr. Freeman. He was a minister out of Grace, Grace Baptist Church, and he was a customer of ours. He'd just come in all the time, yeah. and when they had the country store, and he'd get some desserts and have coffee, and he just liked us, and he brought a box of papers one day and messengers we thought that's pretty cool and about three weeks later he came by and told my wife he said I've got something for you and he pulled that out and he gave it to us he said his family would probably throw it away and he said it would mean a lot more to us because we because of the situation here that it would be great if we ever had a museum and of course that's to me it's one of the focal parts in our museum is actually that original article. And I'm sure there's some floating around, but not too many from Winston Salem Journal. Okay, when you bought the building, did you know the history when you bought it? Well, when I moved, I first moved in the building in 93 and I bought it in 98. I didn't really know the history of it until I was in here. And I, I was been here probably about a month and a guy came up to me. And of course, I, I knew about the Charlie Lawson. I lived in Stokes County for several years. And so and this is my office here at the time. And so this guy was out front. He showed me that picture with the bodies laid out in front. And I said, what are these? He said, well, this is where they had the Charlie Lawson murders upstairs on the second floor. So, that, so I didn't know anything about it until then, that this was actually the, the building. So then I tried to find out as much history as I could, and people have volunteered information to me and such. But, but I'll show you something that I think you're going to find very interesting. And just down the hall is a part of the museum most people want to see. This is actually the funeral home back here. Anybody at home? Well, this, this room here is one of the largest rooms in the building, except for downstairs. This was actually the chapel. So you had a door here where you could bring the bodies through and the people could come upstairs and go into the chapel here. So they would have had church pews up here. They would have had the up front and so What's interesting about this that we, we discovered, you had two viewing rooms. So you had this one here on the left-hand side, and then you had this one back here on the inside. And so what I found interesting about this, Chad, is the fact that it's, that it's uh, of course, look on the floor right down here, and you can see where it's all worn out. Because oh. that's where people would stand in line to, to talk. 
They shuffle their feet, shuffle the feet, shuffle the feet. They get up here, they view the body, and they're out of here. So you don't. So this whole side is worn out where people would stand in line to, to look at bodies. Uh, this is the original embalming room that was here when TB Knight Funeral Home was here, and they serviced the Lawson family on 90 years ago. And so we decided that we would use all these pictures and artifacts from the Charter Lawson family tragedy, and people have stepped forward and have given us some pictures and some artifacts that we could show and, and this is actually the room where the family was embalmed and so it's caused a lot of interest. We've got the, got the room over here that's got the casket in it. Death certificates and photographs explore the murder mystery and even some urban legends. The far-fetched one is that, uh, that John Dellinger did it because John Dellinger came through. He was on the loose at that time and actually signed the guest book. Right, here's a spot. Here's a spot right here. But the floors are creaky, and that adds great on. The creaky floors and dim lighting give some people the creeps. It's uh, kind of eerie, but uh, it's, you know, a former funeral home is not a place you can typically hang out. And we have some people that won't even come down in this hallway. They, they get chills on their arms, and they, they, and they just don't go any farther. We've been asked before if there's any, anything that's really happened that's kind of suspicious. And this room, it was really kind of creepy, to tell you the truth. A series of strange occurrences prompted Richard to invite paranormal investigators to come and investigate. There's a little girl that people have seen in the building here. I've never seen her, but there are people that have verified there's a little girl about five years old in a white dress, and, and we've had, and there's kids who've seen her. The kids have seen her. Kids, and they say kids are more susceptible to that. We've had a, we had a girl not too long ago, right after we had the paranormal people up here, that was a seer. She was like 12 years old, and she, she came upstairs and she was nervously, when she came back downstairs, she said, I can't go in that one room. When she felt the doorknob, it was warm. So, I mean, it's just a lot of strange things that go on in this building. And speaking of spooky, a photograph hanging in the museum, captured at night where the Lawson family are buried, seems to include a ghostly figure leaning against a tree. But what was interesting on Christmas Eve this past year, uh, we had this up here and we heard some noise from downstairs and we couldn't figure out what it was. And when we came up the picture that's got the, the uh, shadow in it, the person was laying on the floor. So I, I'm not sure why, but, but it, 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 it's pretty interesting. <laughs> so the Lawson family murder continues to give people chills like it did. 90 years ago. Yeah, it is a sad chapter in, in the life of Stokes County and the life of Germanton and the family and the family's relatives. Uh, and it's a sad chapter for the history of this building because they, they brought them here, but uh, it is what it is. And whether you believe in ghosts or not, one thing is for sure, that question why Charlie Lawson did what he did nine decades ago continues to haunt us. Mm -hmm.
If you want to see more of the story of the Lawson family murder, check out our website, myfox8.com. There you'll see interviews and images of the family and crime scene. If you like the podcast, give it a five-star rating. It'll help get the word out. Deadly Secrets, The Lawson Family Murder, co-written and narrated by yours truly, Chad Tucker. Produced, co-written, and edited by David Weatherly. Our executive producer is Kevin Daniels.